Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Show. Hey guys, it's Robert. Just wanted to make a quick note before we get started. One of our guests was having a little bit of internet trouble when we were recording, coming in and out a little bit. So if Evan disappears for stretches of the show, that's why. Just wanted to give you guys a quick heads up before we get started, just so you know why things are a little bit scattered in moments during this episode. Hope you'll stick with us. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Thursday, July 21st. I'm Robert Mays. Fun show for you guys today. It's mid to late July. Training camp is not here yet. This is the time every single year where I kind of awake from my fantasy football slumber, start getting back into my fantasy podcast. I'm about to spend a lot of time on the road over the next two to three weeks. Have about a month to my until my big draft that I have every single year. So I'm starting to dig into my fantasy prep, and I am going to have some overlap here between my personal prep and what we're doing on the podcast, because that's the easiest thing we can do today. I am thrilled to be joined by two of my favorite fantasy voices, two people whose opinions I trust on all things fantasy and honestly on all things football, period. First of all, Josh Norris from Underdog Fantasy. Newly engaged, Josh Norris. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you, man. Some people, you know, get a little bit nervous for an engagement. Uh, I took the next level and did it overseas, uh, abroad, and without seeing the location for it and everything. But Robert, as with the rest of the world, it all works out in the end. So I'm very happy. Still on cloud nine. Thanks for having me on the show. I could not imagine the nerves associated with traveling with that wedding ring. It was I, tough. <laughs> even having it in my jacket pocket, I proposed to my fiance around the corner from my house, probably five minutes away in the park mm-hmm. near our old place where we used to hang out in the midst of an evening. We went to the bar where we had our first date and then we eventually went to dinner. Even that, I was like, man, I'm, I'm checking it every 10 seconds, yes. flying with it. I truly cannot imagine how stressful and anxiety-inducing that was. There were multiple moments uh, when she was gone to work where I would just take it around the apartment and just look at it. And then, <laughs> like I said, uh, finding a location just via a photo in a garden in Paris and a fountain there um, was a step maybe too far. But I'm so glad that it happened and it all worked out. I'm very out. proud of you. It's not Thank a step you. too far at all. A lot of respect coming from this side of the table. Also joining us today, the man, the myth, the legend, Evan Silva from Establish the Run. Evan, thank you very much for doing this, my friend. Maze, you know, I, I love to be a, party, a, a part of you really just bring us on here to ask questions about your own fantasy team. That's yes. 100% what's your, about your to happen. Keeper and, and Dynasty. And I want to re- remind the people and you of a trade that we sort of collaborated on a couple years ago where you gave up in, I think, your uh, dynasty or keeper, you gave up David Njoku and David Johnson to get Travis Kelsey. Yes. And do you remember, we got a lot of negative feedback on that, and but you had absolutely murdered that trade, absolutely crushed it. So um, you know, I won two championships in a row, in, nice. in part because of the tra- that Travis Kelsey deal. And I was going for three in a row last year, and I ultimately fell short. Matthew Stafford just mm. murdered me. 
down mm. the stretch over the last three to four weeks, and it has completely thrown off my team building plan. And now I can't decide whether to rebuild. So I will sneakily get in a lot of questions about that without you guys knowing as we go through this entire conversation. So this is the way that we're going to kind of lay this out. You know, I don't want to go rank players or talk about positions. You guys do that extremely well. If you guys aren't checking out the work that both of these guys are doing, I love the podcast that Josh does with Hayden Winks on Underdog. They do a great job just kind of giving you the fantasy landscape. Establish the Run is an invaluable fantasy resource. If you guys do not have a subscription, highly, highly encourage you guys to go check that out. What I want to do, because we don't do this full time, I really want to do sort of a fantasy football primer for the season. We're going to go through a bunch of different questions, categories, things that I feel like are particularly interesting about this year, about team building when you're thinking about your fantasy team, all that kind of stuff. And what led to a lot of these questions were figures from last year that I want to try to replicate or lessons we learned from last year that maybe can inform the way we're thinking about our teams this year. And the first person to come to mind there was Cooper Cup. In our keeper league, I think he went for 30-something bucks where top-of-market receivers go for 100 based on our league settings. And when you have a guy like that, those are league-winning players. So I'm wondering, Josh, not that if there's a Cooper Cup in this year's draft, because I <laughs> severely doubt that there is, somebody who's going to come from relative obscurity to win the Triple Crown, but is there somebody outside of the top 10 at their position that you think can lead the league in fantasy scoring this year? Just to put in perspective with Cooper Cup last year, he went as wide receiver 16, actually two spots after Robert Woods, who was wide receiver 14, which is fascinating in well, retrospect. I felt so bad for Hayden because he was on it. Yes. He was on one of the Rams guys being the number one receiver in fantasy last year, and he just picked the wrong guy. <laughs> um, what's funny is there's a, a few like, 10th at their spot this year who could conceivably do it like Saquon Barkley is going as running back 10 but that doesn't really count um the name I'm going to throw at you is someone that no one wants to draft and it's James Conner James Conner obviously split the backfield last year in Arizona with Chase Edmonds and it wasn't one was a third down back one was the first and second down player passing down guy it truly was a between the 20s and then inside the 20s. Yeah, in the six games that Chase Edmonds missed last year, we saw 77% of snaps, 82, 82, 91, 96% of snaps for James Conner. That resulted in two running back one overall performances, a running back two, a running back seven, and two other top 12 finishes. Like James Conner, I think a lot of people remember his final few years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they see a worn down former feature back. And after this organization was not able to keep both of these talents, it is very clear that now James Conner gets a full-time role, one where he's going to see far more passing down usage, where he was highly efficient last year, caught 37 of 39 targets. In offense, that's going to be top five, top 10 in the league this year. I don't think they're going to try to replicate Chase Edmonds with Darrell Williams or Eno Benjamin or anyone else. So I'm not one to bank on future injuries and in the middle of the third round, late third round for James Conner, he's kind of on an Island with running back picks to himself. And I absolutely love selecting him in this part of the summer. Cause I still think he's highly, highly undervalued. How do you feel about James Conner, Evan? Cause I know that Josh and Hayden, every time I listen to them, the James Conner comes up, even when yeah. the conversation isn't about James Conner. So I, I'm Guilty. wondering people that aren't talking about James Conner every single day, how they feel about him coming in. I'm, I'm pretty much in lockstep with these guys. Um, you know, he can play in the passing game. He's plenty good between the tackles. It sounds like Rodney Hudson, they're going to figure that out. Um, and, I, you know, the offensive line is a little bit of a concern there. But, I mean, they're going to play fast. There's going to be a lot of opportunity there. 
the, the backups are, are much poorer now post Chase Edmonds. And James Conner built a reputation in Pittsburgh of being, you know, sort of injury prone, but he showed that he could largely stay healthy last year. And I mean, he's, he's good in all facets of the game. Um, I, I do think he's bound for some uh, negative t- uh, touchdown regression. I mean, he scored what, 18, yeah. 18 TDs last year. That's going to be tough to repeat, but I still think he's going to score a lot of touchdowns. I mean, I still think he's definitely going to score double digit TDs as long as he stays healthy for the majority of the season. They run and the I, ball down there too. That's and, yeah, and they absolutely run the ball. I mean, they, they run they the ball spread the field and, and they, and they create efficiency and, and people will look at his yards per carry without consider. And they weren't, uh, I think it was under four last year without considering that he got so many short yardage carries that will actually bring that down, scored so many touchdowns close into the goal line. I, I would, I would not focus on his yards per carry from last year. Their rushing efficiency is pretty bad though. Overall, yeah. they did not run the ball well last year, even with light boxes. When you consider yeah. even a situation, I know the exact numbers that are in front of me, but even con- situations where they had an efficient box count and an advantageous box count, they were not running the ball effectively. So that would be the only concern for me in terms of efficiency that a per on a per clip basis, maybe he's not getting a lot, but the and that's volume, all, the also more of a, a more of a real life concern than a fantasy concern. Absolutely, you know? and sometimes I conflate those way too often. Yeah. Josh, I'm curious how you feel about this because one of the reasons I think you can make an argument for somebody like James Conner doing this is it just me, or do you feel like the top of the market running backs this year aren't as bulletproof? or Hmm. as appealing as they have been in recent years. Because if you look at the tiering of it, I understand why Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey are kind of that top tier for everybody. Christian McCaffrey isn't without his warts and concerns. So when you get down behind that, it's like, man, Derrick Henry in an uncertain offense, but coming off of injury, you know, Dalvin Cook, we have Alexander Madison kind of lingering there. Are they going to throw the ball a ton? Najee Harris is not in a very good offense, most likely. And not likely. an explosive player in terms of reeling off 20-plus yard runs. And, you know, those big plays equal big touchdowns, and that's what changes weeks. I'm I'm with you, but on some level, Robert, we also got that with first and second round wide receivers last year, too. Like, typically that position is, is viewed as bulletproof, and it wasn't last year either. All of these guys, 100%. Have have questions as you outlined it. Um, it makes me want to invest probably more often than typical. And we're going to get to this topic of second round and third round running backs as well, because you can invest in both of those running back spots if you want to take a wide receiver tight end to start your drafts. And then one final thing with James Conner. I mean, only what five backs last year played over 60% of their team snaps, only one played over 70% universally running backs. It's a split backfield across yeah. the league. And I think he's truly one of those because of the investment they made in him and inability because of cap constraints to really bring in another option next to him to fill that a la Chase Edmonds role, he could be one of those 60 or even the only 70% back this season. Evan, is there somebody you think outside of the top 10 that, that could be lead their position in scoring this year? Yeah, and I, it's uh, Terry McLaurin. And I remember uh, one of the first wow. times we, we uh, got together, uh, Mays, at uh, Peace in, in Chicago in uh, Wicker Park. <laughs> we were talking about Terry McLaurin. And your comparison coming out of college for Terry McLaurin was Keenan Allen, which was very interesting because, you know, I think when we think about Keenan Allen, he's a, a short to intermediate guy, plays a lot in the slot, you know, but he's like a super savvy route runner, but he ran like 4-7 coming out of college. Terry McLaurin can fly. Okay, but he can also do, you know, those uh, the savvy route running stuff that that Keenan Allen can do, but he can also make big plays downfield. And if you look at the quarterbacks with whom 
Terry McLaurin has played to this point in his career. And look, I'm no big fan of Carson Wentz, but he's clearly going to be the best quarterback of Terry McLaurin's career to date. These are the quarterbacks from whom Terry McLaurin has caught passes to this point in his career. Dwayne Haskins, Taylor Heineke, Case Keenum, Alex Smith, Colt McCoy, Kyle Allen, Garrett Gilbert, and Logan Thomas. That's it. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's not strong. So I think that, you know, and we, and we look back last year at what Carson Wentz was able to do with Michael Pittman, who took a pretty big step in his second NFL season, over 80 catches, well over a, a thousand yards. You know, Terry McLaurin to me has that type of talent. I don't know overall wide receiver one that's rich, but I think in the top five, I think that that's very much within his range of potential outcomes. The reason I compared him to Keenan Allen back then is that I saw an interview with Terry McLaurin going into his rookie year and the ways that he was talking about route running and setting things up and just how clearly in tune he was with how to get open in the NFL and what allowed what drives that. It reminded me of talking to Keenan Allen. So when I heard him say that, I was like, oh, this dude runs a four three and he talks like this. I'm 100 percent in. And he was really good from the start. So I my suggestion for this, I'm going the exact other way. I'm going to go with the guy that Carson Wentz just left because I think Matt Ryan is a significantly better quarterback than Carson Wentz. I think it's Michael Pittman because looking at the type of player Michael Pittman was as uh, his rookie year and the yak opportunities he had, I think he averaged like seven yards after catch per reception as a rookie. Last year, it was down at four. And building in those sorts of opportunities on slants, quick hitting stuff with a Matt Ryan instead of a Carson Wentz, I think kind of re-unlocks the real player that Michael Pittman is combined with the jump we saw from him last season. And and these are hard. These are stabs in the dark when you're talking about these sorts of jumps and getting the returns you'd get on someone outside of the top 10, either leading the league or being top three in scoring. But that's the one when I look at the list, I feel the best about just because we're trying to piece together why Cooper Cup did that. It's a significant jump in quarterback play that unlocks somebody. And I think Michael Pittman kind of fits that mold to me in a way that none of the other guys on this list do. Josh, how do you feel about that? I like that point that you just made because sometimes we can't even predict how significant a quarterback change can be for a wide receiver, a running back, offense in totality. Like you just said, we, we saw it with both Rams wide receivers last year, namely Cooper Cup. And maybe that is the Matt Ryan who was getting juiced by that local media and coaching staff already in off-season reports. I mean, it feels like Frank Reich has rediscovered the quarterback position and how they can play it with, with just Matt Ryan coming under center. Quick point with, with Evans, Terry McLaurin, that, that's a name I absolutely love. Uh, just going back, and because I love to rewatch some of these offenses from last year because you really forget, even if it's just six to eight months away. I mean, he led the NFL in contested targets last season with 47. It's because Taylor Heineke's lack of arm strength um, eliminated so many big plays like Terry would be getting open on inside or outside breaking routes or down the field. And while, you know, Taylor Heineke might have some gamer to him in terms of creating something out of nothing. uh, There were so many throws to his back shoulder or into the defensive backs chest that Terry had to react to. And I'm not saying that Carson Wentz is going to be great with that placement and stuff, but he certainly has an arm that's much, much better than what Taylor Heineke brought to the table. And the underdog football show is a huge fan of what Scott Turner has been able to do uh, during his time throughout the league. I think he's one of the more underrated kind of creative coordinators out there. 
I totally agree. Uh, if you look at all, again, just putting guys in position to succeed, box counts, the way they ran the ball, how creatively he uses some of his receivers, and that step up from a Taylor Heineke to even Carson Wentz, who none of us are enthusiastic about, that's a real improvement. That's an improvement that can unlock your skill position players. I, going back very quickly to the, this one fantasy league that I'm in that I care about, my receiving core is Stefan Diggs, Michael Pittman, and Terry McCord. And I have to decide whether to keep it together <laughs> or start to rebuild. So this entire conversation is getting me very excited but probably for nothing as I well, let, let, let's keep track, Robert, that that's one topic and two mentions already at this fantasy league. So what we might get to five or seven. I'll do it the entire the time. Show. It's the only okay. thing I care about anymore. Good. When going through the entire football season, uh, the, what I'm really caring about on Sunday is not planning for the show that we're doing. It's whether right. or not I'm winning in this league. That, that's the most important thing I have every single week. All right. I want to dig in to decisions that people might have to make as they go through their drafts. I always think that's a fun little exercise. My brother was talking to me the other day about where he wanted to pick in his league, and we were kind of going through what that might mean from round to round. And some of the real-life choices he's going to have to make, it's like, man, I would not want to make those decisions. So I want to run with a few of those. And I want to start with one that you actually uh, brought up today on Twitter, Josh. A listener posed this to you, and I think it's a really good, really telling one. Yeah. Allen Robinson versus Cam Akers. And all of these are going to be players that are going to be picked pretty much in the same range. So these could be realistic decisions that you would end up having to make. Allen Robinson and Cam Akers, uh, according to your guys' rankings at Underdog right now, are 43 and 45. So you're going to be picking both of those guys potentially in the fifth round. At this moment right now, Josh, if you were tasked with picking between those two, which direction do you think that you'd lean? Yeah, part of it is, is the start you've already had. On your, your, your build so far. but Easy. I absolutely love Allen Robinson. I mean, we have him head of ADP and a major part of it. And you have Nate and talked about this a lot where how Odell was such an X factor, no pun intended in terms of being the isolated wide receiver inside the 10 and inside the 20. Um, I mean, he had 24 targets inside the red zone last year with the Rams. Odell did 12 targets inside the 10 and caught eight touchdowns on those. Like the ability to play big and small in that area of the field where everything else is bunched up on the front side of the formation, it's crucial. And that's why they prioritize Allen Robinson. And this offense can absolutely support two pass catchers. Now, where this football, fantasy football bubble that Evan and I occupy and don't get to hibernate like you do most of the season, most of the year, um, I think we're all really, really down on Cam Akers as running back 19. And part of me wants to take a step back and wonder why that is. And I think part of it is based on coming back from injury a little bit too early last year mm -hmm. and just not looking great. Then you dig into some of, because touchdowns are so important, some of the really important high-value touches that even Sony Michelle got last year. He tied for third in the league, third in the league for carries inside the 20-yard line. Um, it's very clear that this Rams organization does not believe in Daryl Henderson long-term because in, whenever they give him a long run, he gets injured. You bring Kyron Williams to maybe take over that pass pro role that Sony Michelle had last year. And I just wonder, like, should we really care about our last exposure to Cam Akers when it's so clear that the Rams have this thorough belief in him? Because as soon as he was healthy coming off this quick Achilles recovery, they thrust him back into a full-time role. So if that's an offense that we want pieces of, if that's an offense that's going to be top five, top 10 this season, why are we letting the feature back on that team last all the way to running back 19. So like you said, that's the conversation I'm consistently having right now. I think part of that push and pull is if you're looking at the running backs, if you pass 
on the Cam Akers stretch of running backs. If you let that stretch of things go by and you don't get a Cam Akers or an ETN or a Brees Hall somewhere in that range, can you find another viable running back after that? The answer is pretty dicey. It is. I mean, you're putting yourself in a tough spot. At receiver, it feels like you're going to have more opportunities there. The scarcity as you get into that range of drafts, Evan, that to me is why I would probably lean acres there. Even if I do have some right. of those late season struggles in mind, when I'm thinking about him purely as a player. Well, and, and people are still pretty reticent toward drafting Allen Robinson right now. And I'm, I, the, the same, you know, is true to, to an extent with cam acres, but you know, Allen Robinson is coming off a, a terrible season, the worst season mm-hmm. of his career by far. But if you look at, um, his uh, ability to uh, win versus man covers, like Matt Harmon uh, reception perception statistics. And if you look at his the, the historically the quarterbacks with whom he's played, again staying on this topic, like like I talked about with Terry McLaurin, Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, Chad Henney, Mitch Trubisky, Blake Bortles, Christian Hackenberg, Matt McGloin, Chase Daniel, Justin Fields. Those are all, all the guys college. with whom from whom <laughs> Allen Robinson has caught passes. And I mean, you, you could even like go back to college, you, you know, so um, and, we, and we saw last year how Matthew Stafford was able to elevate Cooper Cup. And then you look the, the target competition is not real strong beyond Cooper Cup with the Rams. I mean, we're talking about Tutu Atwell, you know, 110 pound Tutu Atwell. Who literally, <laughs> I've seen him blow away on the field. If the wind gets too much. I've seen him actually blow away on the field. 15 miles per hour or more, Tutu Atwell, I mean, he, you know, he's going to be in the They're stand. in a dome, Evan. They're in a dome. <laughs> that's true, but they, they do play some games outdoors, and that's when Tutu Atwell blows away. Allen Robinson's not blowing away. He's 6'3", 230, 42-inch vertical. You know, he. I mean, I, I think he's an absolute stud. He's yeah. He has not hit. He's not past his prime. I know he had a bad year last year, but that was, you know, explainable in a lot of ways, and I, th- I think he's going to absolutely smash this year. The thing is, though – that you have to take Cam Akers here because of the ADP. Because Cam Akers is not going to make it to the fifth round. We're talking about fourth round uh, prospects here. Cam Akers is not going to make it to the fifth round. Allen Robinson very well might. I also, you guys do this all the time, Josh, in a way that I think is really smart. Follow the resources. Yeah. If, if Follow the resources because they can often point you in the right direction. And even if we're a little bit hesitant or a little bit skeptical about what Allen Robinson looked like last year, you got $15 million a year from the Rams. The Rams aren't skeptical about what he can give them. The, the other name that you need to follow how a team interacts and follow the money is really Gabriel Davis and the Buffalo Bills because he's obviously, if you just look at his past production from a season standpoint and not just the individual game that we saw, what, four touchdowns and 200 yards the last time he was on the field, you know, people might get scared and say, well, why haven't the Bills ever ever given him a chance as a starting receiver for them. Uh, And to me, I think his past production is absolutely meaningless and we shouldn't factor it in at all. And it's because prior, I mean, at the end of 2020, when John Brown was hurt and he was thrust in the starting role, he had an abysmal catch rate. He just wasn't ready for a starting gig. And so that off season, the team went out and prioritized Emmanuel Sanders, who played really well for about 12 to 13 weeks. And then last year, I believe it was week 14, Gabriel Davis finally started playing 70 plus percent of the snaps. He was a full-time starter and look what we got. And so if you, again, follow the actions of the bills who are in a win now mode, they brought in absolutely no 
outside competition for Gabriel Davis's role in two wide receiver sets or three wide receiver sets. Khalil Shakur is, you know, the fourth player on that team that maybe can play inside and out zero competition. So again, an offense we want pieces of, I know it seems expensive based on never reaching a thousand yards out there, but we have to, it's a forward thinking show, a forward thinking process as Evan always alludes to. So Gabriel Davis, to me, just based on the the perception that the bills have on him, the runway is clear for a full-time 80 plus percent snap player. And that's all that we want with the Buffalo Bills offense. I love that you brought him up because he was going to be one of my other would you rathers here. He's going in a range, Evan, right where Rashad Bateman is going. And I think this is an interesting thought about just fantasy football in general. Maybe you're not totally into this every single day. You're trying to pick during your draft and you're looking at a Gabe Davis, who is the clear cut number two receiver within a pass happy offense. And then you look at Rashad Bateman, who is going to be the number one receiver in an offense that's probably not going to throw the ball as much. So in your mind, Mm -hmm. be tempted by the guys like, this is the number one receiver on this team. Mm -hmm. This is the guy that I want even though the volume is going to be bigger in Buffalo. So if you were ta- you had that decision, Rashad Bateman or Gabe Davis right now, Evan, which way would you go? I have Gabe Davis, and it's because of the pass volume. And look, I, I, I really like Rashad Bateman. Really, Mark Andrews, though, is the number one pass catcher. That's on a good the point. Team. Yeah. And, and I think that the way that their offseason went, it seems like they want to get back to running the piss out of the ball. You know, <laughs> that, that, I mean, I, I really do like Rashad Bateman. He's just – he always goes a little bit – ahead of where I'm willing to take him in drafts in the fourth round, the target that I have like really been locking onto recently is Cortland Sutton because he's, you know, this is age 26, 27 season again, two years removed from injury. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, Two years uh, removed from that uh, 2020 ACL MCL tear. That was a bad injury that really affected him last year. Again, going back to the topic of what, you know, what quarterbacks has, has this guy played for, Previously in his career, Drew Locke, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Teddy Bridgewater, Jeff Driscoll, and Emmanuel Sanders. Those are the players from whom Cortland Sutton in his career, in his NFL career, has caught passes. The Broncos no longer have one of the oldest coaching staffs in the league. They sound like they're going to be more progressive and uh, under uh, uh, Nathaniel Hackett. And they're going to build the offense around Russell Wilson, who wants to play fast. And I think that's going to benefit pretty much everyone in the Broncos offense. I just have such a hard time parsing what that receiving core is going to look like, where they're going to line up, who's going to get the volume, what the usage is going to be. I, I have no idea. If you look at, I was talking to Nathaniel Hackett earlier this year for a story, earlier this summer for a story that should be out fairly soon on the Athletic, and he was telling me that he could see Tim Patrick in the slot for them because Ooh. of the way they used Alan Lazard last year and the types of slot receivers that system needs. Think about the guys we see in the slot within that offensive tree. Okay. You have Cooper Cup in Los Angeles, who's 6'2", 210. Alan Lazard played 200 snaps for the Packers in the slot last year. Justin Jefferson is going to play a ton in the slot this year for Minnesota. He played, I think, almost 200 snaps in the slot even last year for the Vikings. Drake London just got drafted by the Falcons. He's going to be a slot player at 6'4", 225 for them. So Tim Patrick might end up there. So if he does, what the hell is Jerry Judy going to do? What is his usage going to look like? The one thing I do feel good about, though, Evan, stylistically, Cortland Sutton is a perfect player for Russell Wilson. If we're just going to be outside the numbers of vertical shots, that one requires less imagination. So even with all of the murkiness with that whole receiving core, Josh, I still feel best about Sutton 
and the way that he fits with Wilson. Yeah, just to put some numbers to this, and you outlined it with Court and Sutton. I mean, the moon balls that Russell Wilson throws, you know, you have the mind meld with Tyra Lockett and DK Metcalf, and Sutton obviously fits that perfectly. But you almost are, if you're thinking Jerry Judy, who's being drafted as wide receiver 22, like he's a, a surefire hit on underdog this summer questionable uh last time he was a full-time player he's 74 percent of his snaps from the slot tim patrick 72 percent snaps outside and then the question even though they have these three or even four wide receivers if you want to include kj hamler coming back from an injury who's out there in the two wide receiver sets you know yeah. because that is the most important question when you ask we fall in love with number three wide receivers all the time but you know these teams run different personnel groupings they put two tight ends or fullbacks or whatever else out there and so two wide receiver sets are crucial. They are vital. And I, based and Evan, you know this, reading the tea leaves, reading the news reports, it is no surefire thing that it sounds like that is Jerry Judy over Tim Patrick. And that might be a true camp battle to watch as well. Yeah. I mean, Tim Patrick is a better blocker than Jerry Judy, number one. And don't forget that the Broncos late last season gave Tim Patrick some money. I That's mean, this exactly is, right. This is an George undrafted Payton. player that a new regime – a new front office invested in and pretty good money, three years, 34 million. That's a lot for an undraft for a previously undrafted player. I, I, I mean, it, I don't think it should shock anyone if Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton are the one, two on the outside and two receiver sets. And Jerry Judy is like the slot guy. Or just if in three receiver sets, he's on the field and Tim Patrick moves inside, yeah. but uh, that too. The only receivers that this regime, this front office, have dedicated resources to, George Payton's group, is Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton, both of whom got contract extensions last year. This group didn't draft Jerry Judy. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes that's not the most important thing, but I think picking up on those breadcrumbs, I, I always try to pay attention to that stuff. I mean, and the range of outcomes for Jerry Judy's season is, is crazy because he kind of is on that, I don't know, Calvin Ridley spectrum of a player who's a pure separator, but at the same time, it feels like just watching him, he's on the field and falling down and, you know, almost overselling his routes a bit more often. And just to the point, again, eye in the sky here for all of these wide receivers in this range for months and months, people have been drafting an underdog fantasy and setting these ADPs, the top 14 that kind of ends at wide receiver with the two chargers guys and Mike Williams, and Keenan Allen, plus Michael Pittman. Um, after that, it was a mess. I mean, all the rankings were all over the place. Now, DJ Moore has kind of climbed and solidified himself with hopefully Baker Mayfield as that wide receiver 15. But after that, from some names we just talked about in, let's say, Rashad Bateman from wide receiver 26 down to Marquise Brown at wide receiver 16, you pull and bring on any fantasy analyst here. They're going to have split rankings and different ones all throughout because it's all a projection on a second year leap or a new coaching staff or a new quarterback they're attached to. But we know a bunch of those guys are going to hit. And it's just like you're saying, Robert, trying to understand how a team wants to play, how they're going to use these guys. And so some real like football intelligence is going to win out in the end and trying to diagnose what that grouping of wide receivers is going to be and who's going to be successful. Very quickly before we move on here, and Evan's going to join us again when his internet starts working. The one wide, one wide receiver conversation that I, I caught when I was going through rankings, like, oh man, that would be an interesting decision you'd have to make. Amon Ross St. Brown versus Elijah Moore. Like those are decisions. These are the types of things you're going to have to Impossible. choose <laughs> And it's like, man, it, I mean, it's, it's really, really tough in that range because you saw how he came on late in the season, but we, you, I know you guys and I liked Elijah Moore as a prospect. Oh, man. There's uncertainty with how the usage of that offense is going to be. There are just so many questions with so many of these guys. It feels like we'll have more clarity 
when we start getting camp reports and things like that. But if you're drafting right now and you'd have to make that choice, I don't even know where you'd start. I think Elijah Moore has a chance to eventually be maybe the best second wide receiver across the league. And I think he already ruined a bunch of NFL evaluators evaluations of him because they probably thought he was a pure slot and just lining up on the outside. He was outstanding. Now I understand when he was on the field, it was when bad Zach Wilson was out there. Arguable if he ever got better, but Jets fans, I'm sure you know this, Robert. He was okay and like two throws against the Titans. Sure, and that's the game that the Jets fans want to throw in your face every single time you mention Zach Wilson. But they were awful together. Like Elijah Moore was far more productive if it was Mike White or Joe Flacco out there. Anyways, the the name in that range that I keep going back to and is the player I've drafted most on underdog is Russell Gage at wide receiver 33 because that progression, that path, to me, is so clear even with or without Chris Godwin because we know that that offense can support three wide receivers too. I was going to say, it feels like a bet against Chris Godwin, but you feel even with Godwin back in the lineup, Gage is going to get enough work. Even for the first six weeks, seven weeks, and who knows when Chris Godwin does come back. I mean, I, I, follow the money. I mean, Russell Gage is not Antonio Brown, but Russell Gage is so pure of a talent that fits in so many of the ways that old school or present day Tom Brady succeeds in that I think like just the priority of him running alongside Mike Evans, who we all love this year, who I think has a, a chance of being the overall wide receiver one this year, uh, getting that at wide receiver 33 because he's never had a real breakout performance or a breakout season. I think we might be stealing a little bit. All right, let's move on here. We're still waiting for Evan, but I want to get to our next subject here. So let's say hypothetically you're in a fantasy league and it's a keeper league where there are a lot of running backs. <laughs> <laughs> that, are, that are not going to be available. And you know that you're going to have to make some unappealing decisions as it relates to guys in what has been deemed the running back dead zone, kind of yep. in that 25 to 35 at the position range, guys outside the top 20, but you need a starter within that group. These are depressing conversations. No one <laughs> wants to be having them, but they're important to have because yeah. inevitably you're going to need one of these guys to hit. So I want to pose this to you. If you're looking for somebody outside of the running back top 20 in that 25 to 30-ish range, is there somebody in that group you feel best about if you need somebody to be a second running back for you all year? All year is tough. And I'm actually going to go to the absolute rock bottom of that range that you outlined and talk about the running back 35. And that's Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, at this point, like clockwork during the summer, you'll undoubtedly hear that it's impossible to predict how the Patriots are going to use their, their running backs. But guess what? Last year, I think on this very show, in this conversation, Robert, I sat here and said, Damien Harris is the pick. Damien Harris is the guy because it's trying to guess forward thinking what the Patriots wanted to be. They wanted to be bullies. And then that ultimately led us into the second and rushing total touchdowns that Damian Harris was a key piece in someone winning a million dollars in underdog last year. Now, why am I talking about Ramondre Stevenson now if I love Damian Harris? One, he's on the final year of his contract, and who knows how that's going to go. Two, Ramondre Stevenson literally had two touches and one fumble in the opening five weeks of last season. But then he touched the field, and he was electric. If we talk about big plays from the running back position, that's 10-plus yard runs, 20-plus yard catches, only three players had over 15% of their touches equal that mark. Nick Chubb, Rashad Penny, and Ramondre Stevenson. 22 big plays and 147 touches. And I'm not done, Robert. If we're talking about a yak per reception at the running back spot, James Conner, 10 and a half. Already talked about him. Jonathan Taylor, 10.1. Hey, he's going as the 101 this year. 
Ramondre Stevenson tied with JT at 10.1. When you zoom out and rewind just a little bit, Ramondre Stevenson played a heck of a lot for a rookie running back in a Patriot system and organization. I love Damian Harris in terms of one cut, get up the field, boom, let's gash him. But if the Patriots want to be a bit more explosive this year and be a bit more dynamic. James White potentially is back in the fold, but every time you read about this Patriots backfield, Mike Reese, everyone else who covers the Patriots say, who knows what James White's status is going to be. Ramondre is probably a better passing down back, especially a receiver. And I think the sky might be the limit with or without Damian Harris, because I think Ramondre is a big back with balance, could be a really special talent. This is the range. I don't know exactly where they went last year, but two guys that you guys talked up all offseason and that eventually were hugely valuable for people in fantasy were James Conner, who we talked about earlier, and Leonard Fournette. Yeah, Both of those guys emerged as top backs in fantasy-friendly offenses and did huge things for people down the stretch. And if you're looking at this range of players, right? So let's just list off some of the names. A.J. Dillon, Tony Pollard, Clyde Webber-Zolaire, Cordero Patterson, Miles Sanders, Damian Harris, Kareem Hunt, Melvin Gordon, and then you guys have Ramondre Stevenson next in your rankings. I think a lot of those guys, for them to be potential top 12 backs this year, you need an injury to happen. Yeah. That's necessary for that path to start existing. There's a world, like you said, Damian Harris is in the last year of his deal. Patriots haven't committed to him at all. There is not a lot preventing New England from giving that lead role to to Ramondre Stevenson if he's just better in the same way that Leonard Fournette did for the Bucks last year. Didn't you think he was special when watching him? Like there was that play against, I think Atlanta, it was called back immediate pressure by Grady Jarrett in the backfield sidesteps him has to make a incoming slot corner miss as well. Then wheels and spins and creates these longer gains down the field. I don't know exactly what this Patriots offense is going to be this year, you know, I think if people don't like Mac Jones and they're lying to themselves, um, I think they're going to put a little bit more in their plate. But with the play calling of Matt Patricia, ex Joe Judge, who the hell knows? <laughs> but I do know that Ramondre Stevenson is freaking talented and they just want to play some bully and beat you up. And he's so explosive and so much fun to watch. All right. Evan is back and the timing is perfect because I know, Evan, that you have a guy in this range yeah. outside of the top 20 at running back kind of in this grouping. That you that is your favorite bet among these guys. Who is that? And it's it's Miles Sanders. And I know that he's frustrated. A lot of people scored zero touchdowns last year. Okay. <laughs> but he's also the lead back in what could be the best rushing offense in the entire league. Quarterback by a dual threat. Uh, PFF came out with their uh, O-line rankings in June. They had the Eagles at number one. The Eagles are deep on the offensive line as well. I mean, like their, their second string offensive line is better than the Bears' first string offensive line. Sorry, sorry. Appreciate, appreciate that. <laughs> um, it's just that and, – and also, you know, they didn't do anything to upgrade their backfield in the offseason. So and – I, I, and I think they're going to be a good team this year. I think they're loaded again. I mean, I think they're loaded on defense, loaded on the offensive line, you know, really ex- ex- a lot of explosive potential in their offense after adding – A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith enters his second year. I mean, I just I think they're going to score a lot of points. I think they're going to be able to control games. And Miles Sanders is the clear-cut lead back there. I kind of am with Evan here, Josh. Talk me out of Miles Sanders. I'm, I'm not going to talk you out of it. 
the issue is high value touches. And you could say the exact same thing with my comment with Ramondre Stevenson, because Damien Harris is the one that saw 30 carries inside the 10 and that equaled 11 touchdowns. If we just look at the Eagles and what they did inside the 10 yard line last season, Jalen Hurts had 22 carries. Boston Scott had 16. Jordan Howard had 14. Miles Sanders had 10. And Kenny Gainwell had eight. You know, we want the one who is constant. We want the James Conner in that environment. The guy who's going to get the rock and score the six points because we know hey, touchdowns are pretty good in fantasy football, and I'm not sure. I know he's not going to equal zero touchdowns once again, but I don't know if we have it for sure yet that he's going to be the player that they trust in those short-yarded situations. I'm going through the rest of these guys in this range, and it just makes me sad. It just makes me sad to know that I'm going to have to do this in a month or so, (laughs) end up with one of these guys, because every single one of them, it's like, I can poke holes in this. I'm concerned about this. Josh Jacobs, right? Josh Jacobs is oh, theoretically gross. the oh, number so one gross. back in an offense that should be better. You know, they you have Devontae Adams there now. You have Josh McDaniels there now. It's like, oh, I could talk myself into this. And then you just think about what the Josh Jacobs experience has been like over the last few years. Hate that. Oh, I'll draft Tony Pollard. High upside. You look at all the underlying stats. You got to feel super good about that. And then I'm going to watch Zeke Elliott touch the ball 22 times a game all season. It's a really, really gross area of the draft to have to worry about. But that's why I want to talk about it, because you do have to think about it with some nuance, even if no one's excited to do it. Robert, let me give you a guy that you might that might get you excited. And that's A.J. Dillon, because if you look at the complexion of the Packers offense right now, you know, they're getting back guys on the offensive line. They have a bunch of uh, ascending young players on the offensive line. They're going to be really good on defense, I think. I mean, their defense is stacked. Okay. You know, they've got, they still got Aaron Rodgers. The, the receiver core isn't that great anymore, but Aaron Rodgers can mates. They're going to control games. They play in a division with the terrible Chicago Bears. Okay. This is like twice with, in the with, last two minutes. With, 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 the, 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 <laughs> with the, the Detroit Lions, who I think, you know, we probably all, you know, they're, 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 they're fun, you know. Uh, but, you know, their they're, uh, Vegas win total right now is six and a half. Um, and then Minnesota, who's like in a, in a, a rebuild mode, might, might be able to score a lot of points this year, but they're going to give up a lot of points. Um, the Packers are going to dominate this division again. And when they're ahead, A.J. Dillon really benefits. And also what he did last year in the passing game, because he didn't do any of this stuff at Boston College. He looked smooth in the passing. He caught 34 passes last year. You know, so he showed an incredible amount of versatility. He's got a high floor just based on his role in the offense. The best two players in the offense outside of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay are A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. They're, they could just be more run-heavy in general as they don't have the pass-catching talent. I, I wouldn't be surprised about that at all. Man, I the one guy that makes me sad even think about it, the person who delves into the Dolphins' backfield in your fantasy draft, ask them if they're doing okay. Ask them if they just like, you want to go to dinner? You want to go hang out for a second? You want to have a conversation? That's just a world I would not want to engage with at all. It's just absolutely disgusting. All right. Speaking of absolutely disgusting, I you, you we mentioned a couple of these guys, Josh, so far. But one blind spot I have fantasy-wise, I'm so bad at it every single year. I get intoxicated by the exciting new guys. I, I don't want to be somebody who invests in a plotter who's going to get the volume and average 3.6 yards a carry, but in the aggregate, it's going to be enough. I would much rather be too early on somebody who was a second round pick and is that potential flash in the pan type guy. You guys are very, very good at this on your show, leaning into 
the guys who might not seem exciting but are going to give you something in your fantasy league. Who are those guys for you this year? Who are the boring guys that I should actually be excited to draft because it's going to be good for me? This isn't cheating, I promise. And it's not a running back. It's not a wide receiver. It's a quarterback. It's last year's quarterback three overall. It's Tom freaking Brady, who's going as the quarterback nine or quarterback 10. That's wild to think about. What's crazy, and Robert, you talk about this with Nate all the time. The league has shifted towards creating big plays and preventing big plays. And Tom Brady has really evolved with it, right? He's so much more aggressive now than he used to be. He attempted the most deep balls in the league last season, period. <laughs> like he will now risk it just a little bit to throw interceptions, to create game-changing moments. And we know that his situational football is absolutely amazing. And with how good the Bucks roster is, he's in the perfect environment to succeed. And why he's overlooked this year and was overlooked last year, it's because he's not one of these quarterbacks who creates production on the ground with rushing totals. And for so long, that was the cheat code to winning fantasy football was getting ahead of Lamar Jackson's breakout or Josh Allen's breakout. And we can go Jalen Hurts as well. Guess what? We don't get any of those anymore. It's like built there into is, the price now. Exactly. We're so much smarter at evaluating these things. Thanks to people like Rich Rebar and JJ Zacharyson and all of them that to me that plummets and pushes down some of these statue quarterbacks that are still thriving. We talked about on the show last year. I love double tapping the Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford stack last year with those two in almost back-to-back -back rounds. And again, I don't know is what, what has changed other than obviously Gronk and Chris Godwin's hurt, but guess what? Tom is also the type that if they're going to give you heavy boxes, he's going to throw the ball 12 times in a row to start the game. Like he's so in complete command. You, you guys need to move control. your, you guys need to move Mike Evans up your rankings. Though. I love it. You know, get, get on my level <laughs> where I have him like number seven overall. Because, I mean, he's about to have a Hall of Fame year if, if everything that you just said is correct. And you know what? Mike Evans, I think, is a Hall of Famer, a future Hall of Famer. And I think this could be the year that kind of cements him in, uh, in that league. We, yeah. We've taught, had this conversation like three times on the show in the last couple <laughs> of weeks. There's been a lot of, are we appreciating Mike Evans as a player enough type of chatter? And I think that it's worth revisiting. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. If Mike Evans was the number one receiver in fantasy this year, I'd just sit there and nod. I'd be like, yep, that sounds right. I yep. totally get how that would happen. And yep. I think Tom Brady being in that same sort of range among quarterbacks would be necessary for that outcome. And I really think that's important, Josh, that point about checking ourselves when it comes to rushing quarterbacks. Because if you think about even where Trey Lance was getting drafted last year with the idea that he could eventually start, and now where he is, he's going right where Tom Brady is. And yep. I understand wanting to shoot for that upside and hunt for it with somebody like that. But we're in a place now where Tom Brady, even without the rushing, Justin Herbert without the rushing, as much as these other guys, there's still a lot of value to be had and guys that aren't going to give you that on the ground. Bucks were second in pace last year, second in neutral pass rate. Again, I ask you, what has changed other than a couple guys retiring and one guy injured who will come back at some point this season? So buy the dip on Tom Brady, in my opinion. All right, we lost Evan again, so we'll get him back in a second when his computer starts working. Give me another one, Josh. Give me another boring guy that I should be excited about drafting. I think some of you, I'm talking about you, this show, have forced this on the people. It's Christian Kirk is wide receiver 41 because <laughs> so much of the focus is on the Jaguars overpaying for middling to above average wide receiver talents. Who cares? That helps us. You know, that means they're going to use Christian Kirk in the exact way that he thrives. And it's that vertical slot player. We know that Trevor Lawrence is an aggressive passer. He's going around a bunch of questionable talents who I like as 
you know, their evaluations, but Kadarius, Tony, Brayden Ayuk, MVS, Chris Olave, so on and so forth at wide receiver 41 as the number one receiver on the Jacksonville Jaguars, because so many people are focused on the price tag of what he was given him for agency and not on the opportunity he's going to have this year. That's a pick that I, I want more and more of as we go along the summer. So I, I think that makes total sense. I don't necessarily disagree. I'm wondering as I'm looking at guys in that range, is Michael Thomas in this conversation? where it's not exciting anymore. There's tons of concerns built in. But when you're thinking about the upside of a Michael Thomas compared to Russell Gage, who yeah. he's going right ahead of in drafts, is it a smart bet to see what you can get out of Michael Thomas compared to the guys going around him? And they're actually a full round difference. You know, Russell Gage is going at 69 overall. Michael Thomas is 81. This is so tough because the last time we saw a full season for Michael Thomas, he was the overall wide receiver one on the season. That's kind um, of what I mean. And the wide receiver two and wide receiver three that year were Mike Evans and Chris Godwin when they were attached to throwing Jameis Winston. Um, <laughs> I think parts of this is just the unknown of who the Saints want to be this year because, you know, in the first, what, four games of last year, Jameis averaged, what, 15 completions and about 22 attempts per game. I don't know if you have any insight on this, Robert, but are they going to allow him to throw 30 33 times per contest while bringing in Chris Olave and Jarvis Landry. Was that a little bit of a hedge for how they view Michael Thomas? These are all just questions because if he is out there, I firmly believe if we get 17 games of Michael Thomas, he'll almost certainly be a top 25, top 24 wide receiver this year. Well, we did have uh, Nick Underhill who covers the Saints, longtime you know, Saints beat writer, NewOrleansFootball.com, great website. We had him on the show yesterday, uh, Establish the Run, and he thinks that they're going to open it up a little bit this year. That's encouraging because again, I think that the guys you can get in this range, he would probably be the highest upside bet. The bang for your buck there could be extremely high. Evan, do you have somebody that yes. is somebody who's boring, but I should be excited to draft this year. Adam Thielen, because you can get him seventh, eighth round in virtually every draft. I, I understand he's 32. There are really two reasons to want to draft Adam Thielen every single time in the seventh or eighth round. And the number one is, because the, the Vikings' pass rate is expected to spike under Kevin O'Connell, moving away from the Mike Zimmer era, and also because of his on-field relationship with Kirk Cousins. That's a really good one. All right, so that's kind of the middle range of receivers. I, I want to go to the top, because looking at pretty much everybody's receiver rankings this year, Josh, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill firmly in the top 10. That scares me. It's tough. Because obviously we've seen, we know what they are in their previous stops. They had been there for so long, they were ingrained into the fabric of those offenses. There was no imagination whatsoever necessary to picture what Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill were. Now, you need plenty of it. I have no idea what those situations are going to look like. And even if you like Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill as players, which I think all of us should, yep. there's it's so difficult to project what usage is going to be like, what volume is going to be like, especially for somebody like Tyree Kill. So when you're thinking about players who are in dramatically different circumstances and unfamiliar circumstances like those two guys, how do you try to figure out how to parse that? Luckily, I think part of it is baked into where they're going. Because look, if Devontae was back with Aaron Rodgers, he might be the overall wide receiver one or two. And now he's going as the wide receiver five. Meanwhile, Tyreek Hill is going as the wide receiver nine. It's very difficult. And let's start off with, with Devontae Adams. And it's not just a conversation with him, as you're alluding to. It's a conversation also with Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller 
And Josh McDaniels, who I think actually over the last couple of years from the Cam Newton era in New England to now has really evolved his play calling, even on like a monthly basis at times when he has to. <laughs> but what Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro did last year, I mean, they were ninth and 10th in slot targets. Okay. 78 and I believe 79 for Devontae Adams. Also, they combined for 27 targets inside the 10 yard line. Hunter Renfro had the highest number or the highest percentage of his team's targets inside the 10 yard line last year. And to me, that's not, you know, repeatable. Now the question is how Devonte got his production in green Bay. So much of it was those screens. And again, the high value targets, um, just looking at Kendrick Bourne, if we're talking about the Patriots pass catchers, he led the, the, the team last year with eight screens. Devonte Adams at 25. Like, I don't think I can bet against a Derek Carr who has previously played with Devontae Adams. But I think the point is we're not going to see him as often in the slot. We're not going to see as many of the gimmies in the screen game. But the player I want at the end of it is Derek Carr, who hasn't hit, you know, 30 touchdown passes in years and years and years. He's 100% going to do it this year. And you're being able to get that as like the quarterback 13 or quarterback 14. I feel like it's easier. I have more faith in what a passing game built around Devontae Adams and Derek Carr looks like than what a passing game built around Tyreek Hill and Tua Tagovailoa looks like. Plus Jalen Waddle. Yes. I, I just think there is so much murkiness to that entire situation. If I'm looking at, so just for example, okay, you guys have Tyreek Hill going like 20, 28th in your rankings, 20, 21st in ADP. So some of the guys around Tyreek Hill would be Saquon Barkley, Javante Williams is going a few picks later. Love the running backs in that area. Somebody like Nick Chubb. I'm probably going with the running backs there. I would rather have those running backs, especially this year, than Tyreek Hill almost every single time. Yeah. And I don't want to just make this conversation about Tua, but he and Patrick Mahomes kind of play different sports, you know? Yes. And it's it's not just, oh, we're going to see nine routes for Tyreek Hill disappear because I don't think that that's entirely his game and that's – you know, misidentifying the route runner that Tyree Kill is, but just the depth of everything, if we take from what Tua did last year, it's drastically different. I mean, Tyreek had the shortest A dot of his career since his rookie season last year, and that was at 11. Jalen Waddle's A dot, seven. Okay. Tyreek, maybe one of his lowest totals throughout his career, 25 deep targets, 20 plus yards down the field. Jalen Waddle had nine. Devontae Parker had, excuse me, Jalen Waddle had 12. Devontae Parker had nine. Two Chiefs were already at 13 and 12 on their own. Like, it's not just go routes and that's it. But again, the depth of everything is going to be a little bit shorter. And I also think, one, Mike McDaniel is smart enough to change the offense for Tua and how they're going to succeed. And and I would love to hear maybe what you think that's going to be. But I also don't believe, and I'm not one of these people that think that like Tua can do what Jimmy did because the middle of the field is difficult to throw to. And all the warts that... We all said about Jimmy's game, you have to be aggressive, assertive, have an arm, and have a lot of trust to throw over the trash that's in the middle of the field. And Tua hasn't shown that yet. And so if we're just banking on Tyreek getting some Debo stuff in terms of yards after catch over the middle, so on and so forth, I don't think that lines up. And then we don't even obviously get the huge extended sports center highlight reel plays that Patrick Mahomes makes outside of structure that Tyree kill runs behind two deep safeties and boom, he's off to the races. You bring up Devo, I think is instructive because they're getting drafted in the same range. 
If I'm picking between those two guys, I'm going Debo every single time. I'm with you. Every single time. Just because we know exactly what the usage is going. Even if he runs the ball less, we know that team has a plan for him. We have seen that in practice. Even if we're not super down on Tua, I still think the fit there and the role and how the targets end up getting distributed, there are just so many questions associated with that team that it's hard for me to pull the trigger in that range when there are guys that bring so much more certainty, I think, at receiver and with the running backs, you could be drafting the exact same spots. Yeah, I mean, Tua was 35th in percent of his pass attempts that traveled 20-plus yards down the field. Again, maybe things change with a better offensive line, a new play caller. I'm not down. The the Dolphins are going to be so much more fun this year, and I want people to be excited about it. But And Tyreek is not just a vertical route runner, but again, everything's going to be pulled down just a little bit, and that's not even factoring in where Jalen Waddle's going is also the wide receiver 18, and it all gets messy because Jalen Waddle's a, a really fun and exciting player, and hopefully we get to see him a bit more often, you know, put his head down, stride out, and create massive plays. So that is, those are circumstances we're a little bit concerned about just because of the uncertainty. Is there a player whose circumstances have improved more than we're giving it credit for like somebody who's in such a better situation and we need to be thinking and talking about it even more than we are. He was one of these players last year who changed teams and changed offenses. How about Kenny Galladay? I mean, he closed. We can talk about him and the boring guys you don't want to draft too. <laughs> he fits a lot of different categories we've mentioned here. He closed last year's draft cycle as the 80th overall player. Um, and it didn't work out. Obviously, 37 receptions, 521 yards, and, and no touchdowns. And so he was the wide receiver 37 last year's draft, and now you're getting him as the wide receiver 57. Um, the biggest difference for him is his best years in Detroit, all of his targets were very even. It was 33% deep, 33% intermediate, 33% short. He's never going to be one of these separators. He's absolutely one of these downfield contested catch players, but last year, because the Giants, one, couldn't block anyone, two, had Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens calling plays, three, only had Daniel Jones for half the season, and then Mike Glenn and whoever else for the rest, they only threw the ball 19% down the field. And if we just get Brian Dayball, aggressive passer, Evan Neal at right tackle to pair with Andrew Thomas at left tackle, maybe just the all tides raise all ships and Kenny Galladay as someone who maybe can fill, and I'm not trying to you know, replicate the Bills offense, the Giants offense, but a vertical downfield player, his skill set still translates in contested catches. And he just has to win those a bit more often this year because he's going to have more opportunities to do it. I think the stink on both him and Kadarius Tony, there are values for I love guys. Tony, man. They're, they're, they're all the negatives are already baked in. They're already baked in for me. I've heard you talk about it. I totally agree. I mean, there are just so few players you can get with his skill level and his level of explosiveness, all of those things at that range in the draft. There, there just aren't that many guys. And I think the most important thing you guys have brought up a bunch and is definitely worth keeping in mind, the Wandale Robinson comparison and what the role is for Wandale Robinson does not need to take away from Kadarius Tony. He can play outside. It's not a one-for-one replacement where there's going to be a cannibalization of what that target and usage look like. I won't dive into it, but a top 20 wide receiver talent is in the soul of Kadarius Tony. And it seems like every single offseason, we're going to get some negatives that pop up, whether it be he brought the wrong shoes or he's coming off surgery <laughs> or something or the other. But as you outlined it in the four to five game sample, when he was lining up outside, inside, he just moved differently, man. And no one can stick with him, whether it be the Saints defensive backs, the Rams defensive backs, whoever else. 
He's the separator on the outside. And then it's Sterling Shepard, who's still coming off a significant injury, or Wandell Robinson in the slot. Giants are pretty easy to stack. And uh, it should be at least a fun offense to do that. Evan, is there somebody for you that you think their circumstances have improved to the point where we're not talking about it enough? I think it's Allen Robinson. And I know we talked about him earlier on the show, but you know, people are reticent to draft him because of last year. And I, I understand that. And, and he's starting to get a little bit older, but I mean, he's not past his prime. And I, you know, I think that Matthew Stafford is a, a, a teammate elevator, as we saw last year with Cooper Cup. Rams are going to score a ton of points. Allen Robinson is going to, going to catch a ton of touchdowns. Last thing I wanted to ask you guys, uh, just going back to one of the decisions that people might have to make. Somebody I know that you're super high on, Evan. I was talking to my brother yesterday, and we were talking about that second wave of running backs that you're going to have to dig through. And three guys going in a fairly similar range are Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Javante Williams. If you were facing that decision, Evan, and thinking about those three guys, how would you kind of untangle that choice? I mean, I think that it's Aaron Jones, clearly, uh, based on... My, I know you top, do, and that's why I yeah, asked you. My, right. My top, based on my top 150, I mean, first of all, Aaron Jones is my favorite second-round pick, and you can consistently get him in the second round. If you look at his production historically, which is about a seven-game sample over the past three years, when Devontae Adams is out of the lineup, Aaron Jones is an absolute monster. I mean, they run the offense through Aaron Jones. You know, I mean, they... His, my, my comparison for him, really, and I don't think he gets a, as much credit as Alvin Kamara, but from a skill set standpoint, has been Alvin Kamara because he can win in the passing game. He can win. He's a guy that you want on the field in scoring position. I mean, they will throw fades to Aaron Jones. You know, he he will get targeted in the red zone. Red zone. He will get carries in the red zone. Again, I think the Packers are going to control games this year within that division. I think Aaron Jones is going to crush. Can you square that with your enthusiasm for A.J. Dillon? Yeah, because they're the top two players in the offense beyond Aaron Rodgers. You know, they should not be running this offense through Alan Lazard or Sammy Watkins or Big Bob Tanyan. You know, they can run the offense through Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and they can both eat. How about you, Josh? If you're looking at those three guys and you're just kind of going through it in your head, how are you talking to yourself? What does your inner monologue sound like? So the two were Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, and who was the third? Javante Williams. Javante's kind of tough, and I opened this conversation by saying only five backs played 60-plus percent and only won 70% of snaps. Um, I think actually both where Javante's going and Melvin Gordon is going is running back 33. Both make sense, and the, like the high-range outcomes of each are absolutely there, and how Javante breaks tackles at a ludicrous rate, it's tough not to get excited. But the name I have to go back to, despite just talking about the wide receivers on the team, is Saquon Barkley. Like, anytime I talk about him on the show or tweet, you are 100% going to get a response. Oh, you just like to draft injured players. Like, he's not going to be in your roster by week six, week seven, week eight, whatever. Um, I'm not in the business. I don't wear a lab coat, you know, of predicting these fluke injuries like he had last year when rolling an ankle on a route, then once again, re-aggravating it, walking back to the huddle when it looked like he had two softballs on either side. Like that is not a lasting, this is not a multiple ligament injury. Like we're talking about with JK Dobbins and his backup running back right now is Matt Breida. Okay. It's Matt Breida, fun player, exciting, has a history with Brian Dayball, but it's so clear that if Saquon is healthy, Saquon is the dude. And I don't want to overlook this. Not only were there bad play callers last year, Robert, but you know, this Daniel Jones gets blinders on in the pocket, but just having Evan Neal, if he is good immediately, 
And your left tackle and Andrew Thomas, who made huge leaps and strides forward last year and improvements along the interior too. I just think this offense can take a huge step forward with how Brian Dayball, even back to his days at Alabama, when he had all those running backs, it was a run first approach. And then you change everything around Josh Allen and make that offense what it was. I think he's going to be able to pick up the best pieces. And as much as I love Kadarius, Tony, man, Saquon is the unquestioned best talent on that Giants team. If we're excluding injury and it's just about circumstances, we, you can't say what you said about Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay two minutes ago, you and I, and not say the same thing about Saquon Barkley. Right. And especially because even with after the Evan Neal thing, they signed Mark Lewinsky in free agency. They signed John Feliciano. These aren't like the biggest names in professional football, but we talk about incremental gains at some of these positions. Those are incremental gains on the interior of the offensive line. Combined with an offensive line coach and Bobby Johnson, I think did a very good job in Buffalo. All of those things are reasons to get excited about what Saquon Barkley can do and bring it all the way back to the beginning of the conversation. There's uncertainty about all of those guys at the top at that position. So you have somebody with Saquon's physical profile, somebody who's probably being underdrafted because of the way the last couple seasons have gone, and we think the circumstances of the offense could be vastly improved. You could draft him as running back 10 and easily get one, two, three results by the end of the year. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Yep, I'm with you. All right, guys, thank you very, very much for doing this. Always great to chat with both of you. I'm feeling better about that league. That is the only thing that I care about. And that's, all, times. Really, that's all that really mattered by the time we were finished with this show. Guys, please go check out the work that both these guys are doing at Underdog and Establish the Run. I'm not even kidding. This is the football content I consume the most <laughs> over the course of a season is what these two guys are doing. My, my fiance gives me shit because Evan's matchups column that he does, they do an audio version of it. And I'll just be sitting there on Sundays and I'll be <laughs> cooking breakfast or doing something and it'll be playing in our house. And she's like, it's like listening to the stock ticker, but for football, and I was like, yeah, I need to know what's going on right now. So that I'm telling you, but if you are not, if you're a fantasy player and are not engaging with the stuff that these two are putting out, you are making significant mistakes. So correct yourself. Please start doing that. Gentlemen, thank you very much for the time. Of course, Robert. Thanks so much, Evan. Awesome talking with you too. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to start talking about training camp. Training camp is around the corner. Start looking forward to some of the storylines, the battles, all of that. That's very much on the horizon. So please come back and check that out. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. We're here. You need an athletic subscription if you are going to follow all the training camp news. Tying it back into fantasy, there is no better way to start getting some actionable information than with an athletic subscription and following all of the fantastic beat writers that we have on staff. So please get that if you do not have one. We'll be back tomorrow. Appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.